This is Father Robert Barron. Friends, I invite you to reflect with me on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization. We utilize media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. Through our efforts, we hope to take the gospel out into the peripheries of the culture, where the transformative power of God's Word is most needed. Let us open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each one of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, to understand the visceral power of our gospel for today, we have to pay very close attention to our first reading, which is taken from the 13th chapter of the book of Leviticus. Now, I would hazard a guess that Leviticus is one of the least read books of the sacred scriptures. And that's too bad, because it's a very interesting book. It's the ancient Israelite holiness code. That's to say, a series of prescriptions, laws, prohibitions, by which Israel was identified as a distinctive people. Now, I know it's easy enough to make fun of sections of it, seeing it maybe as a holdover from a primitive time. But look, every people, very much including ourselves, have similar codes of thought and behavior. If you doubt me, take a good look at the canons of political correctness and physical fitness in our society. I mean, we have a lot of codes and laws and prescriptions about what you can say, what you can't say, what you can do, what you can't do. Read any of those fitness magazines about the kind of foods you should eat, the kind of foods that are kind of unclean. We're not all that different. Are our codes more reasonable than theirs? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of doubt it. At any rate, a number of verses in the book of Leviticus have to do with the issue of leprosy or contagious skin disease. Now, put yourself back in ancient times. They didn't quite know how to categorize these various diseases. They knew that certain things were uh, disfiguring and they were contagious. And for a tribal society, this was a pretty serious matter. Sufferers of this disease were compelled to remain outside the camp, ostracized from the community. And of course, as I was saying, that's really not so surprising or so morally uh, questionable. I mean, we today would quarantine or otherwise separate out those suffering from various you know, contagious diseases. So that's what we got going on in the book of Leviticus as it talks about leprosy, about excluding people with this problem, how to heal them, etc., etc. What made the Leviticus prescriptions a bit more stringent was the implication that leprosy was the result of a curse from God. Therefore, people felt even more justified in keeping the leprous on the margins. As we hear in the reading for today, and this is right from the book of Leviticus, lepers were required to shout, unclean, unclean, should any member of the tribe come close. Now, lepers could approach the priests for cleansing, 
but the priests had to meet them outside the sacred space and assess their condition. Moreover, anyone coming into contact with the leper would become himself unclean. Any house that a leper occupied would become unclean. Any linens that he sat upon or touched would be unclean. I think here in this context, the story of Jesus healing the woman with the flow of blood, the same problem. You look in the book of Leviticus, a woman in that condition would be herself unclean, and anybody who came in touch with her would be unclean. Anything that she uh, contacted would be unclean. That's a similar situation. Well, that's the background required in order to understand just how strange and unsettling our gospel story for today would have been to a first century Jewish audience. It's very important, everybody, to put ourselves in that situation because, see, we're, we're on the far side of having heard these stories for so many centuries. We're accustomed to them. We expect what's going to happen. But put yourself now in a first century Jewish environment. And the shock value of these stories in some ways can't be overstated. So we hear, a leper came to Jesus and kneeling down begged him and said, if you wish, you can make me clean. Now, first of all, shock value again, that a leper would come up to someone. Lepers are supposed to say, unclean, unclean. They're supposed to announce their presence so people could run away from them. To walk up to someone, if you're a leper, it was an act of extreme aggression, if you want. But the suffering man is also acknowledging something extraordinary. Namely, that Jesus himself is now functioning as temple and priest. Now, why do I say it? Remember, one normally went to the holy place, and to sacred ministers, to be assessed and to be healed. But this man now, because it looks like aggression, he's coming up to Jesus. He's contagious, he's dangerous, but he comes up to Jesus. But what he's acknowledging is, he's sensing that somehow he's got to go to Jesus and not to the temple. That whatever was on display, on offer in the temple, is now on display and on offer in Jesus. But now it gets even stranger. Why? Because he appeals directly to the will of Jesus, the way an Israelite would normally appeal to the will of God. See, priests as such didn't make people well. They acknowledged officially that a healing had taken place, or they assessed a person's condition, or they prayed, offered sacrifice, etc. But this man now comes to Jesus and directly asks him to heal his disease. We're meant to see again something extraordinary about Jesus, something that Mark continually stresses. Jesus himself is the new temple. He's the new priesthood. He's the definitive place where divinity and humanity meet. Now, keep in mind, too, as I was saying, 
by not keeping his distance, not shouting unclean, unclean, the man was committing an outrageous faux pas, for he was putting Jesus in serious danger of contamination. Here's the thing now, everybody, fellow sinners listening to me right now. Isn't this precisely how we sinners often feel? Our sins, we feel, are so great that we deserve ostracization from society. But even more so, we feel, we deserve ostracization from God. Why would God ever bother with the likes of us? In fact, don't we feel at times that our sins would contaminate God? I mean, we, we want to shout out to God, unclean, unclean. It's one of the saddest things I run into in my pastoral ministry when, when a, someone who's really caught up in a sinful pattern deeply, deeply feels just like that. Oh, God would never forgive me. I, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even approach God. I'm so ashamed. I would shout unclean if I felt God was in the neighborhood. So here's the point now. As, as this thing gets stranger and stranger, Sinners are meant to approach Jesus with the same confidence with which the leper approached him. Let me say it again. All of us sinners feel unclean. We feel we deserve ostracization. We are meant to approach Jesus with the same confidence with which the leper approached him. Because Jesus is the temple, he's the priesthood, He's the place of healing, and, listen, he cannot be contaminated by our sin. Rather, we are healed by contact with him. Again, the same thing with the woman with the flow of blood. When she reached out to touch even the tassel of his cloak by the book of Leviticus, she was making him unclean. The point is, we can't make God unclean, but he makes us clean by contact with him. So what's the sin right now that you are most ashamed of? We've all got something. I mean, we're all sinners, and there's probably some sin that we're caught up in that we're most ashamed of. The sin that you're convinced would or should make you utterly unworthy of contact with God. Bring that to him with the leper's confidence. Then, that wonderful moment. Instead of recoiling in horror, as almost any Israelite of the time would have done, Jesus moved with pity, stretched out his hand, and touched him. And those beautiful words from the Lord. The leper says, if, if you will, you can cure me. Jesus says, I do will it. Be clean. See, friends, the church at its best, the church is the mystical body of Jesus. The church is the prolongation of the incarnation through space and time. The church is the means by which Christ still reaches out to sinners who come to him. The church performs this task precisely in and through the sacraments. It stretches out the hand of Christ and offers pity and healing. I mean, this is Pope Francis, as the whole world is, is captivated by his outreach 
to the sick and to the poor and to the sinful. His embrace of the, the man with the, the deformity, you know, it's the same idea. They come to him, he reaches out now with the healing touch of Christ. This is St. Francis back in the 13th century kissing the hand of the leper. Remember, Francis in his youth was repelled by lepers. He ran away from them. But after his conversion, he embraces, he kisses them. The final move in this passage is most important. Having been cured, the man went away and began to publicize the whole matter, spreading the report abroad, we're told. What's the heart of evangelization? It's the sharing of how your encounter with Christ has changed your life. See, if this element is not present, evangelization devolves into an exchange of ideas or fruitless argument about religion or something. And, and those are valid. I mean, I, I do that in my own work. I argue with people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But at the heart of evangelization is a sharing of your encounter with Christ, how you came to him, a sinner, and received healing. So the question I think we're left with is this. When were you cured by Christ and how? What was it like for you to receive through the church his healing touch? When did you feel perhaps despised, unworthy, ostracized? And how did Christ, through his church, restore you to health and communion? Remember that moment. And then be willing, with the same enthusiasm, to share it. That's evangelization. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Word on Fire. I hope that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until we meet again next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Friends, I'd like to invite you to visit my free YouTube channel and join over 40,000 subscribers. Each week I post video commentaries on topics ranging from Catholic teaching to world news to pop culture. Subscribe free and you'll receive my newest videos straight to your inbox. Just visit youtube.com slash wordonfirevideo.